0: Father, what a glorious thing already to have heard the gospel preached in our own singing this morning. We thank you for these things. We thank you that they're true. We thank you for our weeks of study in Leviticus, wherein we have had the opportunity to look to Jesus over and over, and we thank you once again this morning to be able to open our Bibles to Leviticus and look to Jesus once again. And we pray that as we do so, that your Holy Spirit would once again be kind to us to help us to understand what we see here and to see its timeless import for us. See how these things are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and how you would have us to apply these things rightly. We we pray, Lord, that our affections would be stirred up, conformed, and energized, that we would love Jesus more as we leave this place, that we would love you more, that we would love one another more, and ultimately that we would be called to greater rest in Christ in these days in anticipation of that ultimate rest that we have in Him to look forward to when He returns. And We thank you that He is returning. We pray for all these things in His name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, as as the book continues to focus on Israel's life with Yahweh, fellowship with Yahweh. Here the Lord puts in front of the people a series of occasions for fellowship, specific occasions for fellowship with God, in the form mainly of feasts that the people are called to. And so as we as we read through this this whole chapter together, this is another one of those occasions where I'd invite you to look for common elements that run through all of these feasts. There's, there's at least a, a couple of things that, that we're going to find that are common to all of them. And those commonalities are going to be important for us. So uh, as, you, as you're finding your place in Leviticus 23, please stand with me. And again, we'll read the whole chapter before we begin to, to work our way through it. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the appointed time for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and and on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord." And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God, it is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, and their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings." And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the 10th day of this 7th month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a holy assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. You shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burn offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and And drink offerings each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days on the first day shall be a solemn rest. And on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of the palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. You may be seated. So what are we to make of these things? You know, we all have we all have family rituals. Our family has a has a a special ritual that we we engage in every year. We set aside one evening a year for for this very special thing that we all enjoy very much. We we have a family Valentine's Day dinner. So my wife cooks a, a special meal. We light candles. For the table. There are valentines that, that my kids made when they were really little, and they wrote special messages on these, these valentines, and they, they, they get put and sp- spread all over the table. We usually give the kids some gift of candy that they, that, that they particularly like. We'll give them those things. There's a predictable ritual to this evening, but the highlight of the evening is when we go around the table, and every member of the family shares with every other member of the family one of two things. You either say to, to everyone in the family, individually, here's one thing that I love about you or here's one memory that I love about us. And there's there's usually a lot of laughing. And over the years, there have been a lot of tears as, as we've reminisced and shared our hearts with one another. And, and a lot of times... As we're sharing these things with one another, those of us that aren't speaking, we're thinking, oh, yeah, I love that too about that person. Or, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I, I remember that. And our hearts are stirred up. It's one of our favorite things to do together. Now, it is an agenda item of sorts. I mean, it's something that we put on the calendar. And and we might say that, in a sense, it's it's a rote thing. It's got ritualistic elements to it. But, but all of those elements serve... This, this thing of stirring up our affections for one another and stirring up our affections and gratitude to the Lord for one another. And that's kind of what's behind all of these feasts. God's intention is for man to enjoy Him. In the very beginning, man's sin, of course, got in the way, and in the first half of Leviticus pictures God's provision for dealing with that sin. And now the second half of Leviticus has been concerned with Israel's then living life with God, which is what God intended when He created man in the very beginning. And to that end then, here in chapter 23, God puts on the people's calendar particular events intended not simply to force meaningless ritual on them but to move them to remember in His presence, to to enjoy being with Him, remembering acts of salvation and provision that made it possible for them to be with Him. And these feasts in Leviticus 23, they, they, they are just part, they're just a small part of the entire story of redemption from creation in Genesis to consummation in Revelation, all of it testifying to to the fact that God believes there is no better use of man's time than to enjoy fellowship with Him. And and by all of these things, and especially by these feasts, God, God says, come and rest in My presence and remember all that I've done so that you can be with Me. And and we, as New Testament believers, as, as we look at these feasts, we're prompted by them similarly to enjoy fellowship with Him now in anticipation of that great day of fellowship which will be our forever, our eternity. The chapter 23 indicates all of this by framing these feasts as occasions of Sabbath rest, And here's the significance of that. It's also the first point on your notes, if you have notes in front of you. Sabbath rest pictures fellowship with God, which is the goal of God's redemptive work in Christ. Sabbath rest pictures fellowship with God, which is the goal of God's redemptive work in Christ. In verse 2 of the chapter, the Lord says that what follows is instruction about His Appointed feasts, which he, he calls over and over, in at least the way that the, the ESV translates it, holy convocations. And convocation isn't a word that we throw around a lot in casual conversation. What he means is holy assemblies. These, these are times we're going to gather together. The people are going to get together for these things. It's a holy occasion, okay? The people are going to gather for these things. And the, the Lord begins not... Interestingly, in a chapter all about feasts, he begins not by talking about a feast, but he begins by talking about the Sabbath. And the Sabbath frames not just chapter 23, but all of chapters 23 through 25. So in the coming weeks, we're going to see Sabbath popping up in chapter 24, chapter 25 as well. But look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 We read, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. There's that phrase again, a holy assembly. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, this particular part of the chapter, this is not news to anybody because the Sabbath was legislated repeatedly back in the book of Exodus. But the fact that he puts it here again at the beginning of the chapter on Feasts is significant because we'll see that these feasts, they're all special Sabbath rests. With, with each of the feasts, there's a call to do no work. And in some cases, the actual word Sabbath is used. But, but, but these feasts, they, they show that the Sabbath is is not just about the cessation of work, but rather it's the cessation of work Unto fellowship with God. And as we look at each one of the feasts, we find that it's not even just about fellowship with God, but it's content-driven fellowship. That is, it's about it's about being in God's presence, enjoying fellowship with Him, centered on remembering what God has done. Each, Each fellowship has something to do with God's redemptive work and provision. So that the people might have fellowship with Him. And all of chapters 25, I'm sorry, 23 through 25, center on Sabbath as fellowship with God. Rest in His presence as a result of His redemption and provision. And of course, you, you, you may be aware, if we turn to the New Testament, we find that true redemption and provision ultimately comes to us, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 particularly contains a, a really tight argument that the Sabbath pictures our ultimate rest that we enter on the last day when Christ returns. And those who enter that rest are exclusively those who persevere in faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So... The Sabbath in the Old Testament it's not merely about God making sure that people don't work themselves too hard. And of course, that, that's, a, that's a nice byproduct of it, right? It's, it's nice that God, God gives us this day when, when we, we get to rest, but it's more significantly about stripping away all distractions so as to focus on enjoying the presence of the Lord. It's resting in the presence of the Lord so as to remember His work in Christ with a view toward that ultimate rest that's coming on the last day. So, the Lord tells the people in Leviticus 23, work six days, occupy yourselves with work six days, that one day all work ceases and you enjoy the Lord's presence, that fellowship which is yours because of of. The salvation that I have brought to you and the provision that I brought to you. So so as we move on, we find, secondly, that these feasts were special occasions of fellowship with God for remembering His salvation and provision. The feasts were special occasions for fellowship with God for the specific purpose of remembering His salvation and provision. So you have, you have the weekly fe- I'm sorry the weekly Sabbath set aside for fellowship with Yahweh. Then there are these specific times set on, on the calendar by God for commemorating these specific acts of His salvation and provision. And these all involve a Sabbath rest indicating that they're intended to be viewed as occasions for fellowship with Yahweh. And, and s- some might think, you know, especially the way, the way that we tend to think about ourselves. We might think, man, God is some kind of egotistical God to be requiring people to come to Him and remember what He's done. No, it's kind of God to do this. It's kind of God to put this on the people's calendar because remember, as we've been seeing throughout all of this study, God is the very source of life and godliness. Man was created to flourish in His presence. And that's why David wrote in Psalm Psalm 63.1, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My my flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David gets it. David understands what he was created for. That's why he writes what he writes in Psalm 63.1. So it's a kindness for God to do this. Hey, come into my presence. Put everything aside. Stop everything. And come and be with me. Come and get what your soul thirsts for, what your flesh faints for, what you really need, which is me. So first on these lists of feasts is, is the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. They come together as a package in verses 4 through 8. And, and the first of this, the first day of this, is a, a meal commemorating Israel's last night in Egypt. The, the, the angel of death went through all Egypt, killing all the firstborn, except for those in homes where a lamb's blood was sprinkled on the doorpost. And that killing of the firstborn in, in all of Egypt was, was what finally moved Pharaoh to say to, to Moses and the Israelites, Okay, get out of, it. Get out of Egypt. And so God has commanded the people that, that annually they're going to have this meal, slaughtering a lamb and, and eating that lamb, commemorating that, that act of God to redeem them from slavery. as He, he saved them from, from being slaughtered along with all the other firstborn in Egypt. Immediately following is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, commemorating how in the Exodus, as is they're is there going out, you know, you need food, right? We, we all need food. Some of us can't miss like three hours without eating something. As they're going out in the exodus, what do they eat? They eat unleavened bread that God told them to prepare on that last night in Egypt. And so in this feast, they eat unleavened bread for seven days. And, you, and, and then you can see in verses 7 and 8, there is a cessation of work in all of this. And so God is saying to them, look, stop working Come and rest in My presence and remember what I did for you in the Passover and in providing for you in the Exodus. And, you know, it, it, it shouldn't surprise us then to find when we come to the New Testament that Jesus died for our sins at the time of the Passover. That, that Jesus was the Lamb that, that, that covers us so that the wrath of God would pass over us. And and it shouldn't surprise us that God raised Him from the dead during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So just as the exodus from Egypt was this great saving act precipitating the old covenant, so Christ's sacrifice was the the great saving act inaugurating the new covenant for all who repent and trust in Him. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, meaning that that his blood shed on the cross covers the believer so that the wrath of God passes over us and we are led out of slavery to sin and into this new covenant relationship with him. So as we read, as we New Testament believers read about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we we, we could regard these these old old traditions, we could regard them for us as something like a pre-echo, a pre-echo of what Christ did, calling us to, to come and rest in the presence of the Lord, remembering His work in covering us with Christ's blood. Come regularly, come regularly into my presence, and remember what I've done to you, done for you in Christ. Second on the list of of feasts here is the Feast of Weeks, which we find in verses nine through twenty-two. Now, if you look at verses nine through twenty-two, it may seem a little bit confusing. If you look, if you're if you're paying attention to the section headings of your Bible, your Bible may have a title for verses nine through fourteen. A title that reads something like Feast of the First Fruits. Strictly speaking, First Fruits was not its own feast, but it's actually part of the Feast of Weeks. If you're taking notes, you might write down Numbers 28, 26. Numbers 28, 26. It's a cross reference that helps us to clarify this. L- listen carefully to that verse. Numbers 28, 26 reads On the day of first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any order, ordinary work. So the, the day of first fruits is actually part of the feast of weeks. And that, that'll be clearer as we, as we move along here in a minute. But, but what happens on the day of first fruits is that the people bring the first sheaf of the grain harvest. A sheaf is just a small heap of, of grain or corn. And verse 14 here in Leviticus 23 says basically, look, don't eat anything of what you harvest from that harvest. Don't eat any of that until you first give the beginning of it to God. And what, what, what's, what's intended to happen here is, is for the people to acknowledge that God owns the land, God is the giver of everything that comes out of that land. God is the one who's sustaining us. And as the people are giving that that first portion to the Lord, He then is releasing back to them the rest of it for their use. God is our provider is the idea. And from the first day of, of that offering of first fruits, the people were then to count 50 days, all right, to the day after the seventh seven or the seventh Sabbath, And that day, that day was a feast marking the end of the grain harvest, a holy holy assembly, a special Sabbath rest of fellowship to the Lord. And Deuteronomy 16.12 says this about that feast, which is called the Feast of Weeks. Deuteronomy 16.12 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. So we've got this idea that God is our provider. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. You you were poor and, and needy sojourner. And now look again at 2322, toward the end of this section on Feast of Weeks. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap right up to the edge of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, but you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord." So it appears that this Feast of Weeks, in conjunction with the Day of First Fruits, is about recognizing hey, we were slaves in the land of Egypt, and yet God has provided for us. And then in leaving these gleanings for the poor and sojourners among the Israelites, they're, in a sense, imaging God's provision for them. So it's about recognizing hey, God it took care of us when we were slaves. Now, this is very cool as it pertains to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15.20, 1 Corinthians 15.20 reads this way, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And if we were to take the time, we don't have the time obviously, but if we were to take the time to read all of 1 Corinthians 15.20, we would find that Paul's argument, his larger argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is that because Christ is the firstfruits of from those who've been raised from the dead, what we expect from that is that there is a larger harvest from the dead. That is, there's other people who are going to be raised from the dead, and that is those who trust in Christ. On the last day, there are going to be people who rise from the dead. Because Christ was was raised, then we will be raised. Now, remember that on the day of the first fruits, the people were were to begin counting 50 days and on that 50th day was the feast of weeks well the greek word for weeks is pentecost okay in fact in the intertestamental literature that's all you'll hear it that's all you'll hear it referred to as the the feast of pentecost and that's what was going on in jerusalem in acts chapter 2 when the spirit was poured out on the people All right, so Jesus is the first fruits, he's raised from the dead. Guess how many days later it was that Acts chapter 2 happens? It's 50 days after Jesus is raised from the dead. Pentecost happens when we read in Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, when we read Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we think, Oh, Pentecost, yeah, that's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people. Because that's what we associate Pentecost with. We associate Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But the original reader, reading Acts chapter 2, they don't think of it as the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. They think of it as the Feast of Weeks. This is the 50th day after the first fruits. So Jesus is raised from the dead, the first fruits of an eventual massive harvest from the dead. 50 days later on Pentecost, which commemorates the end of the grain harvest the spirit is poured out signaling the beginning of a harvest of souls into the church in view of an eventual return of christ when there will be a harvest of bodies united with those souls unto eternal fellowship with the godhead so 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 we might think of first fruits and the feast of weeks as we, as we come back through in our devotional reading and we see the first fruits and feast of weeks we might think of these, of these things as another pre-echo of what, what Christ did on his, the day of his resurrection and in, on the day of Pentecost, calling us to rest in God's presence, remembering his work, God's work in raising Christ from the dead and ensuring our resurrection from the dead on the last day. Is this magnificent? Third, third feast is the Feast of Trumpets in verses 23 through 25. Again, it's a day of rest, and it seems to go with the following two feasts that we'll get to in a minute, and it seems that its purpose is just to mark this seventh month, which is the most solemn month on the Jewish calendar. The seventh month is when the people observe the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths. Now, This day of trumpets, it it might be something like, say if we were to have, going into the holiday season that we we celebrate at the end of the year, what if we set aside a day, let's say the Monday before Thanksgiving, we set aside that day, and, and that day was all about getting our hearts ready to be present emotionally and spiritually and mentally for... Thanksgiving, and Christmas Eve and Christmas, and New Year's Day. We might say, that's kind of what the, the Feast of Trumpets was about. It was like, hey, we're, we're sounding the trumpets because these two great feasts are coming. That's kind of what, what the Feast of Trumpets is about. We, we, we're not exactly sure that, that, that's, that that's what it was because the, there really is nothing in the Old Testament that tells us explicitly what it's about and then as we move to the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't t- tie anything specifically to the Feast of Trumpets. But if we look at trumpets, there are some interesting things. We might find it significant that trumpets in the New Testament, they're almost uniformly attached to the Lord's return to take us to himself, his bringing judgment upon the wicked, and the announcement of the visible manifestation of his kingdom. On Earth, so so we might say that the Feast of Trumpets. We could say this. This is a little bit of conjecture here, because there's not as much on this feast as the others. But we might say that the Feast of Trumpets is something of a pre-echo, calling us to rest in God's presence in anticipation of His coming, His judgment, and His kingdom. Now, mo- moving on to the fourth, the fourth iteration, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, verses 26 through 32. This is covered in much more detail in chapter 16, but it's the most solemn day on the entire Jewish calendar. It's a Sabbath of complete rest. And you'll remember that, that if you can remember back to chapter 16, it's this day is about Cleansing the temple. You'll, you'll also remember about those two goats. Remember, there's the one goat that pictured the removal of the people's sin. There's the other goat that pictured the people coming into God's presence. Now, one interesting thing about the Day of Atonement compared to the other, the other occasions in this chapter is that the Day of Atonement, it's the opposite of a feast. It's a fast. You'll notice several times the text tells the people to afflict themselves. And if they don't afflict themselves, they'll be cut off from the rest of the people. There's almost universal agreement that what, what he intends here is for the people to fast. That's what it means for them to afflict themselves. Do this fast in solemn remembrance of God's forgiveness of your sins. Hebrews chapters 8 through 10 directly compares the acts of the high priest on this Day of Atonement to the work of Jesus in His ministry as our great High Priest. And the argument there in Hebrews is that the Day of Atonement in Leviticus is something of a picture prefiguring the greater work Christ was going to do. The High Priest entered into the Holy of Holies annually offering the blood of animals for Himself and the unintentional sins of the people and He did this in an earthly tabernacle modeled after the heavenly one, and the blood that the high priest offered could not cleanse the conscience. And then at the end of that day of atonement, at the end of each day of atonement, the veil in the temple, it remained there, separating the people from the very presence of God. On the other hand, the author of Hebrews teaches, Jesus entered the heavenly holy of holies, not with the blood of an animal, but with his own blood, And he did this one time, not annually, but but just once, because his sacrifice was able to purify the conscience from dead works so that all who believe in him could serve the living God. Further, in Christ, the veil remains no more because he made a new and living way to God for us through the veil which is His own torn flesh. And at the end of that section, the author of Hebrews exhorts us believers in this way. This is Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. See, this is the point of everything that God is doing in Christ. Come near the day of appointment. Day of Atonement points toward Christ, calling us, rest in God's presence, remembering our perfect high priest, bringing a perfect offering once and for all into the heavenly tabernacle that we might enter the Holy of Holies. And finally, we come to the Feast of Booths in the last section of the chapter. The Feast of Booths takes place, takes place five days after the Day of Atonement. It lasts for seven days plus a closing eighth day. And during those seven days, all the people would live in booths or or tents. They would live in tents commemorating that period that, that they lived in tents in the wilderness. Now, living in those tents was not for the purpose of remembering how hard it was being in the wilderness, but it was to remember all the ways that God had provided for them when they were living in the wilderness. There were many ways that He provided for them. One of the ways that God provided for them over and over and over was when they found themselves thirsty. For example, in Exodus 15, the people are in the wilderness. This is right after the Exodus, and they're thirsty, and God caused the bitter waters of Marah to become sweet so that they could drink. Just a couple of chapters later, Exodus 17, the people were thirsty, and God said to Moses in Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the, the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and the people drank. Numbers 20 there's a similar scene. The people are thirsty again, and yet on that occasion, God instructed Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses, in anger, he struck the rock. and We find that that's why Moses was not able to enter the, the promised land. And yet, God was gracious. And even in Moses striking the rock in Numbers 20, water flowed from that rock and all Israel, they drank again. The, the, these are the kinds of things that the Feast of Booths moved the people to remember. Remember all the ways that in the wilderness God graciously provided for you. When you were thirsty, God gave you drink. Now, in John chapter 7, Jesus went up to the Feast of Booths. And what Jesus said, a, a thing that Jesus said at the Feast of Booths, is far more meaningful when we understand what the Feast of Booths was all about. Here, here's something that Jesus said in John 7, 37 and following, at the, at the high point of the Feast of Booths. On the last day of the feast, the feast of Booths, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so Jesus, at the Feast of Booths, he's calling back to these occasions in, in the wilderness, saying, hey, thirsty? You thirsty like your forebearers? Come to me! And, and, and he's, he has in his mind undoubtedly that he's going to be struck. And, and, and what is this water that, that's going to flow out of them? It's going to be His Holy Spirit living inside of them, this Holy Spirit whom Jesus is going to send to them after His being struck and, and being raised and ascending to the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit is described by Paul numerous places in the, the New Testament as a guarantee or, 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 or we might say a down payment on glory. He provides, the Holy Spirit provides something of a taste of the fellowship that we'll know with God in glory. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, we might take some of the things that Jesus said in His last night with the disciples and and, and say that the Holy Spirit does this by facilitating fellowship. There are multiple references to to this effect, but... Um, in, in those chapters are John 14 through 16, but, but here's just one. John 16:13 through 15 reads this way. Jesus says to his disciples, "When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever He hears, he will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit, we might say, inclines our hearts and minds toward Christ. He assists us in abiding in Christ, which Jesus Himself says is the key to our flourishing in John 15. We flourish in fellowship with Him. The Holy Spirit That is His work, helping us to do that. The Feast of Booths then, as we read about it as New Testament believers, we might think of it as as something like a pre-echo of the work of Christ, calling us to rest in God's presence, remembering His work in Christ, to give us the Holy Spirit so that we might enjoy fellowship in this wilderness world as we await entrance into a greater promised land. Now all of these things, all of these things would indicate to us thirdly this morning that when we feast, that is when we enjoy fellowship with God, we should be intentionally Christocentric. When we feast, when we enjoy fellowship with God, we should be intentionally Christocentric. The Scriptures tie our Sabbath rest, our fellowship with God to Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we pursue fellowship, we should focus on His person and celebrate the salvation and provision that comes through Him. And so, if you have never sought fellowship with God through salvation in Christ, that's step one. And the good news for you is is that that is exactly what Jesus calls you to this morning. Pastor Rick read for us from Matthew 18, 28 through 30 this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest. Rest from the burden of your sin. Rest in eternal fellowship with God. And lest you think that there is any other way, Jesus also said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no such thing as spiritual life, rest, reconciliation to God outside of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So first, turn from your sin. Despair of any ability that you have to please God and trust in the atoning death and living righteousness of Christ alone to reconcile you to God unto fellowship with Him. Now, if, if you do have fellowship with God in Christ, then follow the spirit of this passage by setting aside holy appointed times for resting in His presence, remembering His work in Christ. Psalm 116.7 reads this way. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for He has dealt bountifully with you. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for He has dealt bountifully with you. In other words, in light of what God has done for you in Christ, bask in His presence regularly daily remembering and feasting on the remembrance of those things. And of course, we, we do this by spending time reading the Word of God and by praying. Hopefully, as we've, as we've walked through these feasts and seen the centrality of Christ intended by the Holy Spirit as He wrote about these feasts, hopefully we've, we've been impressed that fellowship is about a person, not the tasks not the rote tasks of reading a book and saying things into the air. There's a person that we're engaging with as we read the Bible and as we pray. And so so as we read the Bible, let's be after Jesus, looking for Him in all of His glory and wonder. let's be hungry for pictures of Him, hungry for His character, His work, His voice guiding us, Lovingly chasing us, wooing our wayward hearts and exhorting us to believe all that He's taught, to obey all that He's commanded. And as we encounter Him there, let's respond in adoration, respond in thanksgiving, respond in confession where we find that we're falling short of the things that He's commanded us. We're falling short in, in, in following in His footsteps. And let, Let's petition for ourselves and, and for those that we love that, that He would help us by His Holy Spirit to obey and to be like Him and to love the things that He loves. Now, doing all of that, looking for Jesus, responding to Jesus, that doesn't mean only reading and, and praying in the New Testament. Jesus in Luke 24 Peter in Acts 2 and 3, Stephen in Acts 7, Paul in Acts 26, they teach that all of the Old Testament is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in in 1 Corinthians 10.4, you know that rock that we were talking about a moment ago, the rock that the people drank from in the Old Testament? Paul says, that rock was Christ. And Jesus said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, so, you guys are foolish for not reading the Old Testament this way. You're foolish if you don't do that. Now, why don't we read the Old Testament the way that Jesus and Paul and Peter and Stephen and all the rest of them? Why don't we read the Old Testament that way? Perhaps we, we just haven't learned. So, how do we learn? A couple of things that I would suggest to you. First of all, read the New Testament over and over and over paying special attention to how Jesus and the apostles interpret the Old Testament. Read the New Testament over and over and over, paying special attention to how they interpret the Old Testament. And second, read the Old Testament over and over and over with New Testament saturated minds. And and when we do that, we'll find... We're we're actually not forcing Jesus onto text where he's not, but we're enjoying some of these things that we might call pre-echoes, pictures, facets of his coming ministry foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And, and, And we can and should ask the Holy Spirit, use your word to help me love Jesus more, to to help me adore His character, to enjoy Him all things, to see Him where He is in the Scriptures. And let these times of intentional Sabbath rest, that is, times of temporal fellowship with Him, create in me a longing for that final day when He will return return and usher me into that final Sabbath rest. Another way of enjoying fellowship with the Lord in this day as we anticipate final Sabbath rest, another way of, of doing that, is through Christ-centered fellowship with other believers. We've talked about this over the years many times. But a particularly good way of doing this is through one-to-one Bible reading. One-to-one Bible reading where essentially everything that we've already talked about this morning, everything or that I've just talked about, reading the Bible in a, in, a, in a Christocentric way, you're just sitting down with another believer and doing that with them. And you're stirring one another up to love and good works. You're helping one another work through a passage of Scripture, seeing Christ and responding to Him in that passage of Scripture. Sabbath rest, fellowship with God. This this is what we were created for. This is what we have been saved for. It's, It's where salvation history is headed for eternity. By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, He has afforded us a taste of that fellowship with Christ even now. So as we look forward to eternity, and that final Sabbath rest, let us take advantage of the opportunities that He's given us to enjoy Him meaningfully today. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for He has dealt bountifully with you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you're not like us. We praise you that you are not like us. If you were, you would stand off at a distance. uh, Almost certainly would have annihilated us long ago. Yet you have gone to extreme lengths. You've gone to the greatest length. You've given your very own son to reconcile us to yourself. And not just that we could know you distantly, but that we could know you intimately, regularly, daily. We thank you for the gift that you've given us of, of regular, meaningful fellowship with you. Remembering your works of salvation and provision in Christ. We praise you, Father, for how you forecast these things in the Old Testament for how You accomplished them in the Gospels, how You remind us of them in the epistles, and how You you forecast our enjoyment of them eternally in Revelation. And Lord, we look forward to that. We certainly do. We pray that even now You would give us hearts to enjoy a foretaste of it today, tomorrow, and the next day as we await the return of Christ. Help us to be people who... Feast in Christ regularly, enjoying meaningful fellowship with you, remembering all that you've done. And, Lord, let that fellowship be transformational in our lives. Let it fuel us. Let us be people who truly abide in Christ and therefore therefore bear fruit for you, proving that we are Jesus' disciples, bringing you joy and glory. We need your help in these things. We pray for all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.